0: Know, bearing on the oh, whole thing. A little blue, blue everyone. Both of these things kind of bang together at the same time. And the music was like so exciting, you know? And it was like as it crossed over into the charts. So, like, these songs were appearing in the, in the British charts that were like, where do they come from? They were coming from the dance underground, you know? So, like, it was this thing that was just, you know, kind of moving everywhere we went. So it was fantastic.
1: You know, it's, you know, here we got Mike. He's got his frame from Hacienda. So, you're bringing him over.
0: Uh, he, I, I have to say, uh, he, he invited me over to come over to, you know, to see the club and, you know, to hang out and go to the night. And I went over and um, myself and my wife went over, Jack, and we went, we went over and I went to the club with him before it opened, you know, just to see, he let, to see the whole setup. And like we were driving to the club at half seven in the evening and the queue oh. all the way around the block. and I was going seven. To, I said, who are these people? He said, that's the queue. Like by the time by nine o'clock the club was absolutely full. Oh, I was going, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, and then you could see exactly what was going on. Like it was the beginning of the whole thing. Like that was AZH nude, the nude night with, and then you had the two of them. We saw the, and they're both very different DJs. You had Mike, Mike Picker, and then Graham Park, and like Graham be more technical and kind of you know amazing mixer, and then Mike kind of had a different vibe to him. He brought the he brought the thing in a different way. And I saw that kind of the way the two of them worked together was incredible. Mm. And you like and I mean I got to see it from start to finish, which was lovely. You know, the I the most interesting time is the warm up to me. You know, getting it, how they warmed the club up and how they brought it up and waited and then held it back and then, you know, got the and then when the place took off it was fantastic. So it was a real kind of lesson in the kind of DJing to see it on such a successful night and an amazing well. atmosphere. Kind of blew my mind. You know. I came back and he went, oh, okay. <laughs> There's something happening.
1: It's like now, what in, in, it's now implementing what you're seeing into your set and helping to elevate your situation to a higher level because someone inspiring you like that. A club, a DJ, you know, the whole...
0: The whole, the whole package to me, you know, the people, the atmosphere, the friendliness of the people, you know, Mancunians by nature are just so friendly. And it was just, it was just, wow. You know, it was all, I came around from the place and when I came away from it, I went, oh my God, you know. And it was like, we came back to Cork then. Also, Mike did a really nice thing. He brought me to uh, Spin In where where he got all those records. And uh, he kind of introduced me to Russ who kind of picked out his music every week from all the imports. So Russ then started to send me records at the same time, you know the same kind of bag of records that Mike and Graham were getting. So the records I was coming in the door, like every week, you know, they'd send them over to me. It was just incredible. Like another box of classics, you know, which you know, they were to become classics. You know? So I, happy, and then you had something knew. We were right. Like we, we knew that then when we were playing the music, we had a really, really strong, kind of uh, really good guy sending us great records. Because it was really hard back then to find the records. You know, you had to read the reviews or had to go to a record store and there was no record store in, a, in cork at the time
1: people remember the way it worked back then was there was no such thing as an mp3 or WAV file what they would do is they put the phone near the speaker like that <laughs> phone near the speaker to listen and you were like yeah, I'll take that. yeah i'll take that that's hot yeah, and you play the
0: best pivot, and then you, you get it, and you go, Oh no.
1: Oh, Jesus, was I misled on this one?
0: That's why right. I, I, I do miss that that thing at the the record store you know, the, the clamor of people around the counter buying the records. What's that one like? What's that one like? And I know it's still there to a point, but not much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's a, it's just a different world now. Everything, even the record shops, I, that, you brought up a very good point. I brought this up before myself. Um. That's where you met up with everybody. in the music is at the record shop. Totally. It's where reverse It's where you made business deals. It's crazy what was going on. No, show. you found out
0: what was going on and what was happening. Are you? But you'd hear a tune. Somebody go. Have you heard that tune? Or the guy? You know. Generally, I often found that you know the people behind the counter could have such an influence. They they put on a tune that people had may have ignored or there was no hype around. They put it on and you go, wow, what's that? You know the the little B side, the inner one, the little dub. I was a big fan of the little doves on the inside of all those great twelve inches.
1: So, at this time, as you're honing your skills in the in the Glen Club and basically becoming a a, a crowd favorite, because I saw what happened in that town with you guys, um, they all loved you. They loved to come and hear you guys play. Were you already starting to? play around with music production at that time as uh, yeah
0: i think obviously as a dj you have a lot of time on your hands you know so we just started we uh, we had a tiny little setup we had a we had an atari i think i still have a st and uh, we had a keyboard maybe in a sampler do we have a sampler i can't remember but we're very very limited and we i think we made our first we did our first record uh, in motion on Red Records 94 oh really okay we did one and we were called Fishco Tech then because it was kind of techy it was kind of yeah. uh, and it was on Red Records they were a label out of Dublin uh, Tim Hannigan and Mark Kavner uh, good good, good guys and they put it out. it did okay I think uh, at the time and then we kind of didn't do much then for a while you know I think 90, uh, 97 maybe we put out our own for our own record for the first time on our own label.
1: Why wouldn't you pressure to push that envelope to keep releasing constantly?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I, I we, I, we were very, I suppose, very con- we're concentrated on the, we were doing the club and it was week in week out and it was kind of doing really nicely. And we were kind of working away in the music. And I think maybe we hadn't found the kind of our sound or any, you know, we were playing around with ideas. And you know, we were it, it was very um early days in our musical development like so it took us a while to get going. But then bit by bit, I think as well, we at that time we didn't have that much equipment. So eventually I think we invested we went out and we bought a desk and you know, compressors and proper monitoring and you know set up a pro- a, a, a proper studio, you know, in terms of like, you know, you could make good records from it. I still have the desk, it's still here.
1: Which desk is that you owned?
0: The Alan and Heath uh, G S Three thousand with uh, valve channels and everything. It's a beautiful desk.
1: See, this is what I try to tell people: when you're today's game, because most people working inside the box in the computer, you don't have to have all that stuff to make a record. But back then, you had to make a commitment, a financial commitment, yeah, to be able to buy this equipment because, and then make it make money for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, we had to take a loan out to buy the stuff. I remember. And I remember the company we, the company we bought the stuff from in the UK was called Big Boys Toys, and I said, "Oh God!" <laughs> when I saw the invoices coming in, I was like, "Big Boys Toys."
1: They're... Nothing boyish about this, my friend.
0: <laughs> but it, you know, having you know having better equipment than you know compressors and so it definitely helped us develop our sound then. Uh, you know, and then I think it wasn't until about two thousand that we we signed a lot of stuff to iRecords in. Uh, New Jersey, so that got us going.
1: I don't. I, I know the label. I, I never dealt with him.
0: Uh, yeah, we never got a statement.
1: <laughs> we probably own all the stuff by now.
0: Yeah, we got it back to you. Yeah, we we got an advance, but I don't think we ever got a statement.
1: <laughs> that was a lot of people did. They got the advance, but never got the back end of the royalties. Yeah. So
0: yeah. Uh-huh. You know. God. There was no deal when it came to kind of digital. Anyway, there you go. No,
1: so, no.
0: best the house
1: music. <laughs> that's the house That's
0: the dark. The first thing they they were very popular in Europe, you know. So they were always on the wall in all the shops. So, like, we, he did quite a few um, uh, twelve inches. So, and they they were mixed. You know, there was a couple of house tracks on, and then there was more down tempo stuff as well. So it kind of opened up uh, uh, kind of the world to us then.
1: So when on this timeline of this golden era of the '90s, because that's where you know we're we're at right now, you're playing your Thursdays. You're eventually moving to Saturdays.
0: Saturdays by then, yeah. It was Saturdays, kind of from the ninth, I think '90s, '91 maybe. That Saturday night became huge then.
1: What, what was the driving force for you to book the DJs, the internationals and stuff?
0: Um. There was, between myself, there was the manager, Sean, myself and and Shane, we would have kind of, we realised that, you know, we, we wanted to do a bigger event every now and again, you know, do a weekend or thing where there was, you know, you know a load of... Because there were so many rooms in that place. There was like one, two, there was like five or six venues, you know, you, you, so you could put on different styles of music in different places. So eventually we decided to do one or two of those. And we did, we brought over kind of, I think, did we bring... See, I can't remember the the, the timeline with the DJs, but it was just if we liked their music, you know, and we thought it would suit the kind of our sound, we brought them over. And we were playing a lot of their records a lot of the time, you know. That would have been a kind of reasoning for to to book somebody, and we felt that it would enhance the the the, the resident night, you mm. know, because we might have had a DJ at most eight, every I uh, guest DJ maybe every 10 weeks or something, you know, when we got, when we started doing it. And then we had those bigger weekenders where we had a load of different and we would have then brought in, there would have been techno and drum and bass and all sorts of different things. So
1: on that note, um, in the, in, in the early part of Sir Henry's, who would you say was some of the Americans that were around you guys?
0: Uh, I suppose, with Kerry. Uh, we had Jerome sitting them. He was Jerome and Kerry. They did a big night. And they had Arnold Jarvis. Hey, you got him there. And Arnold Jarvis was there as well on that night. That's my my mate, uh, Graham Finn, playing the guitar with Kerry. I think this is the after party, after a pub, we all came back again. Um, uh, and that, that night, those kind of nights were absolutely epic. Everybody absolutely adored Kerry. He just, you know, he's Kerry. You know what he's like. It was the first time we we had Kerry, He asked, "Could we have could he have a keyboard for the DJ box?" And but well, that's when the key, DJ box was up high. We went, oh, okay. So we got him a piano. And next minute, he was mixing records, and, and playing the piano. This was like I can't remember the date, but uh, that was kind of a, he was that was a huge one for us. As uh, uh, DJ Deep, huge people loved him. Uh, Let's
1: see, okay, we got Shane and Deep
0: together. Yeah. That's a good one. Look, which one is Shane? Which one is Deep? You're right. Can you <laughs> tell us which one is which? Yes, yeah, Cyril's at the front. Shane's at the back. <laughs> he played an amazing set. You know when a DJ just just plays a set, and he was just from start to finish, like it was just perfect. You know, right? And that was, uh, you know, so we we brought the DJs in to enhance the night. They, oh, this is a, that's a fantastic photograph. That's Glenn. Glenn Underground Boo Williams Nelson Rosado from King Street Justin Robertson and myself what a gang and that was one of the weekenders we were all they, they were playing I love that photo it's fantastic that wow. was a good night as you could that's
1: imagine this, that,
0: after party was legendary Glenn and Boo played in this kind of bar underneath, underneath the club till like 6 or 7 in the morning and it was fucking amazing they were really really good
1: see everybody that's history look at
0: this we've got Russell ah oh, uh, yeah what a guy! I love him.
1: <laughs> San Francisco's Rasul.
0: Ah, yeah, what a brilliant DJ too. You know, he and just, of course DJ for the Early days, Henry's now. That would have been kind of on the Thursdays. You see, quite a, an interesting mix of people
1: mm-hmm. pushing along. When does this official time for you and Shane to sit down and go? Let's start making. You know, we've already worked a long time club-wise. We need to get serious and, and double like the, down.
0: Yeah, the the thing is, we we probably never said that actually. You know, we never said let's get serious, but I think let's not get
1: serious. Let's joke around and just do. It for yeah,
0: we, we never would have probably. We never would have said that, but I think around around two thousand after the kind of iRecords, records, and then we saw stuff, stuff out on Gourmet, and that into two thousand and that um, that's what we were kind of doing it. We were in the studio every week then, you know. We were making rec- music all the time, maybe three days a week, four days a week in the studio. And uh, the studio was over in Shane's house at that time. And uh, we just we worked away hard at it then. And I think we knew that, you know, you, to to get to be get any good at this, you got to work at it. You know, you got to put the hours in in the studio. You can't just kind of go in for a couple of hours and make a make a track, you know. So that's when we really kind of we, we got stuck in. From about, hold on, I'll have a look here. I'll have it here. Yeah, from about two thousand onwards. Yeah. yeah, I can see it on the rec- in our releases. There's stuff coming out all the time
1: during that period, right?
0: Yeah, up till yeah, right up to the cure and the calls,
1: like. So explain in the pecking order of the studio work, who does what? Um, Shane would have been more, always on the
0: computer more. Uh, I I would have been. I would have been more on the mixing desk and effects and I probably, be, we both play stuff, but we, you know, we both, I'd be playing stuff in, but he would have been more, he would be more focused on the kind of the the actual sequencer and all that kind of stuff. I'd be more thrown ideas. And I do a lot of it. I would sit between the speakers a lot and do a lot of the actual physical mixing. You know, I was really into that. And particularly when we use completely, you know, mainly out outboards kind of effects and things I, you know, sending all the stuff there for, so sitting in between the two speakers and oh. get the sound, you know that kind of way. I think we probably always did. it. We were mixing as we were going along, you know. Yeah, the right.
1: Don't hear me and mixing.
0: you work, be working on a bit of the arrangement, and I'd be working on the desk, kind of getting, getting the kind of sound right in some some way or other, you know. And art sending stuff around and fecking around with the effects and compressors and that. You know? So that would have, that very much the pecking order would have been there. But we both we both write the things together as such,
1: you know. Here's the thing. Um... I was thinking about, especially for my own workflow. Um, did you have anyone to look back at while you're making these records? Like, you know, you went to some other sessions of people to sponge, expungiate, or were you just learning right there how to we put were- this together?
0: Lenny, there was nobody, you know, nobody in our environments near us that we could... We, well, so
1: I want you to be clear on that. I want you to tell people that. that you guys did on your
0: own, you know. It, on your it, was like, it wasn't like, you know, when you're in the States or in London, you could kind of, you could sneak into a session or something and see what they were up to. But no, we just did it completely our own way. And the, like the only reference points in, you know, in Ireland would have been kind of rock music or indie music. So that had nothing really to do with what we were doing. So we just had to just learn. We learned completely.
1: On the road. So, so you too wouldn't have been your muse then?
0: No, I still like you too, but um, no, um, no, not at all. They would have been. We would have been, you know, thinking about the kind of, you know, masses of work or you know, those kind of people. That's thinking, fine. If only we could make a record like that, you know, or you know, the day, you know, all that was listened to, you know, all the kind of. Uh, the dave morales and frankie knuckles some of those remixes i've listened to some of them recently the janet jackson remixes or some of the stuff they did and it still sounds incredible today so we were kind of always our reference point would have been high up you know you know the Kerry sound or todd sound or or glenn i love glenn underground sound the boo williams that kind of sound the rough sound as well it's great so i that that was where our ref there they are again
1: (laughs) again glenn and boo
0: those are a lot of our references. Point came from the states, you know, and you know, obviously the UK as well. and that, but me, a lot of it would would have come from there, really.
1: Wow. Okay. Let's talk about
0: how this. Like them, by the way, just trying to emulate maybe even the sound. Well, of that's the what I
1: was going to say. Were you guys playing the music and listening to it in the studio, and then ripping the records apart? Like, hey, we want No, no
0: trying to get the, maybe the feel of something, you know, or you know, just. To- just a, and then I think because we were left on our own, we ended up with our own thing, you know, because there was nobody else there. It was just us. You know? the way, even the way scenes develop now, they don't get a chance to develop. You know, back then, you could have a, like, we could have our own kind of house sounds that nobody else had, you know.
1: Right. And, and nurture it. And nurture it because you're doing it to your crowd. your yeah. You're experimenting. Yeah. Right?
0: So you develop, you know, so... You're, you're maybe the sound comes from the club as well you know from the deep stuff and the thing you get this whole thing going on and you kind of it, it you know you start making music kind of around that thing and it's it, it seeps into you in some way or other you know
1: yeah that's why that's why nightclubs are created for us to use ex like an experiment tank yeah know, records and then oh boy I can't wait to play this. For example, like on your Thursday night at the club, see what the response is going to be, right?
0: Totally, totally. And, you know, it would be great if you played something that, you know, hadn't come out or something and people had no idea, you know, and then you go, ooh, they like that. You know, and you go, well, oh, I didn't expect they'd, they'd like that one or they, I didn't expect the reaction to it. So it was a fantastic way to test out, you know, through a proper PA. Oh, my God, the kick drum was way too loud. <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, or, ooh, too much bass, man, you know. So.
1: The mix doesn't sound right.
0: Yeah, take it off. Take it off. Shit, get rid of it.
1: Get it off now, (laughs) or, or holy shit, we got a hit on our hands. Which sometimes happens too. You don't know. You're like, you know, I've learned that. You make a record. Sometimes you're not sure of it. Then you expose it to the crowd, and then. Bam. Bam. You said, wow, this thing's going to be even bigger than we thought, right? It's just, you just, or you're mixing a record (laughs) it happens. And you're like, Moses, you put your hands up and you part the Dead Sea. It's happened to all the best. Yeah. Now, in a sense, because you say to me, no one's around you in Ireland, where you guys are. Who's the keyboard player? Who's playing the keys? Because I see keyboards around you. Who's playing these?
0: Well, well, both of us will play the keyboards. And I'll, maybe one or two tracks, a guy called, uh, there was another guy, oh, oh, I can't think of the second name. He used to play the keys as well sometimes, but my, mainly us. And see, nobody it, knows it's, that. It's, it's a guitar and things, and you know. And we, occasionally, we had, we had a um, we had a bass player who worked on uh, Kurt worked on a few tracks with us, but most of the, the playing would have been us.
1: We Our got Andrew
0: Carroll. There might have been samples.
1: <laughs> you know, I want to tell you something. Um, Andrew Andrew Carroll, a friend of ours. Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, said to me, "You make sure you ask them about how they got that fish go deeps." in this from tech to this to the fish store. So we'll get to that in a minute. So I want to give him some credit because he's he's writing in. Um Irish people are all here and they're all giving it up saying, you know, well done, mate. So of course, with all, you know, what's the first breakout record that gets you notoriety before the you know the one that everybody really got to know you? What's the one that you say, wow, you know Across the ocean, they're ringing now.
0: Well, the the the, the first one was the uh, "Let's Go Back" with Rebecca Mar, uh, the girl from Cork here as well.
1: Let me let me give it her.
0: And it's on um, it's on Shea Music. It was on Neil Lane's uh, label. And "Let's Go Back" was it it did really well, and a lot of people paid attention uh, to that record. No, that's Tracy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've pictures of Rebecca, and so that was on Shea Music, and that wasn't. 2000, I think, I'm not sure. And that, that, uh, that was our first kind of that record, did well. And then we had one on Gourmet, um, Music's Got Me, uh, Massey's label, that did well too. Uh, um, yeah, they were the first, that was the first record I think that kind of sold quite a lot. As uh, Shay were very good, you know, either he, he was good on the promotions, and I think had he had, um, the big, the huge track, what was it
1: called? Mm. Oh, I can't well, remember. Let's not forget he played for Paris is Burning, that party, Neil. Lean. Yeah. And he was he was he had his hands in a lot of stuff going on at that time. So he had all the right people around him to break a record.
0: Remember the huge, it's yours. The-
1: it's yours. Um, I was with um E Man and John Cutler.
0: Yeah, John and John Cutler gave it to Neil. Because he didn't put out on his own label.
1: Isn't crazy! John gave it to Neil Lee. I remember that. John didn't even put out his own label. He get, he sells it to to Neil Lee. It happens. Not thinking of, not thinking too much about it. Like, <laughs> and then woo! Next thing you know, it's yours. Is like the biggest, hottest club track in club in the club world. Big time. But see now, guys, you have to understand something. I'm to, the audience now. You know, when you made records, you made a commitment to see it through because you had a high expense on this records that you're working on. You know, um, if you're running your own record label, you had to pay to do all the pressing and all that. You know, you or if you had a pressing distribution deal, you knew that money was coming out of your front end. You had to make commitments that you've really believed in your product. Am I right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. And um, are the are the label believed in you? You know, and yeah, it was it was it was very different then. You know, like in, in terms of you couldn't you couldn't just throw it an old record and hope for the best. You know, you had to kind of get a price. Oh, there's so much to do. Like, so what? To, like, I mean, if you, if you didn't get it right, I mean, you just lost money. You
1: know, right. And but a couple of those in succession.
0: And even if you've a, a good P and D deal, and they go, well, do you know what? <laughs> what well, I, kind of we put out, we put out some some ourselves, and then uh, a lot, we signed to a lot of different labels. Like well, so. tell
1: us an experience, for example, running the record label. What was that close to being where you hand off the record to a label?
0: Well, when you hand it off, it's kind of you know you, you've done you've done the work as the artist, and then they do all the rest of the stuff, and you help with the promotion, obviously, now. So it's kind of less hassle. When you're putting it out yourself, it's a whole different ballgame, you know? You really have to get the promotion right and you have to, you know, spend money on everything, you know? And like in the end, by the time, you know, by the time it all comes back, there there ain't a lot of money and all that, you know? Really. Unless you get one of the, a, a, a big hit, you know? And I suppose you got to bear in mind too, back then, you know, back in the 2000s, like records were still selling a lot, you know? Yeah. So you could make money from a 12-inch. You know? Right. You know, like, you know, you know, some people say no, they're they're pressing up the five hundred copies. Like I don't think they would have pressed up five hundred copies in the two thousands. Would they would they even done a run that small? You know?
1: Not right. Exactly. The promotion run out would have been more. Just yeah. so they gave out free goods.
0: Yeah. So it's a different time.
1: Somebody asked me a question here. Call Morris is just saying, Ask Greg about the sweat birthday party nights. That was epic. I had to bring that up.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. They're always incredible. Like, I mean, so it was kind of you get the people from from all over the years. Like, I think the last time we did was thirty, the thirty and thirtieth anniversary. So you're looking at generational things, like you know, right from my kids on the dance floor to people who were coming there right from the start. And I think so, epic nights, really emotional, and you get to always oh, very difficult because how could you put all that music into that one night? But you kind of somehow would try and figure out to kind of to play that play a selection of music from over the years. They're kind of a lovely celebration of 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 that feeling you got from that that residency, which was that totally unique kind of cork thing. And then people from all over the country and people from outside the country would come and travel to see Epic. You know, they're 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 kind of in kind of in my brain forever. Some of the some great nights. Jesus. Yeah, I mean you, you, hard to explain it like and the place is full early, like you play for six or seven hours, you know. Everybody wants to hear their favorite tune, which you inevitably are not going to play, but you'll try your best. <laughs> lovely.
1: It's just not enough hours in the day to play all the tunes that we've oh, had to oh. do.
0: A lovely affirmation of, of, of the whole thing, of that lovely communal feeling you get from from being in a club. You know? It's lovely.
1: So now we, we're we into the 2000s. Thank you for that. And, and we're into the 2000s. And of course you're you, you know, signing records all around the world like you said you work with Shay and all these other labels how does this record that everybody gets to know you happen the one that you know in 2006
0: well uh, we started working with Tracy and we started write, writing stuff with Tracy and uh, we did we did a track I think it was in I don't hold on I have it here Nights Like These and then we did a track with Tracy and it, it was just did really well, really nice track. And then we just started bit by bit working on an on an, the idea of an album with Tracy.
1: So this is the Tracy girl.
0: This is Tracy Kelleher there. I that's love a Tracy. Very, that's in a club in Dublin called Wax was tiny. She stood on the she stood in the window ledge and sang the song up there.
1: Wow. It was
0: brilliant. And it was just like when it was start, when it was really starting to go. And um we did it. We did a, a load of stuff with her. We did a whole album of stuff. And
1: hold on, brother, how did you find her?
0: Um, we met her through some friends in Galway, and we knew she could sing. She, she was singing with another girl as well. I can't remember the other girl's name. Uh, and uh, they came down to, to try out a track with us, and uh, they both sang. And Tracy sang a kind of a, a, a track. Over, over some stuff we were doing. And we just really liked her, vo- her voice. And uh, it just hit it off. It was one of those things. And we started sending her music and she started coming back with great songs. You know, beautiful songs. Really, really interesting songs.
1: So how long did it take you to, to the point where we, we get to know her synonymous for? the deep The deep record where you say, this is the record and you produce this and go all the way with it.
0: Well, I don't know. I suppose it was we kind of around 2005, 2004, we had all those all those songs that we worked on together. And uh, the guys in uh, Canada, Ultrasound Chad, he was, we put out the album. And as part of the album, then the cure of the cause, which he said, let's get a remix done for this. And uh, he got Dennis. And there was a big delay in it. Dennis wasn't well. He had Lyme disease. And there was a big delay. In it, and eventually the remix came back. And uh, we all just, I remember we played it in uh, a club in town here, Fast Eddie's. And I remember going, wow, what's this? And that kind of took off and it it kind of just went mad. <laughs> suddenly the song just was everywhere, you know? And the, I think, you know, it was picked up by the, the, the pirates in the UK and particularly in London. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it was just all over the place. And then uh, Simon uh, Dunmore from Defector came in and offered us, uh, you know, uh, to, to To take it on and see what would happen.
1: How long was that before Simon got his hands on that record? For it,
0: it, was, it was still, it was still in the record stores. It was still on ultrasound and it was, I think it was just about coming out. So there was only about, I don't know. We don't know four or 500 copies had gone, gone out. Oh, That's it. Yeah. We don't know. We still don't know. There could have been a few more. We're not sure. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of bootlegs of it actually. So. But, uh, I think then Simon came on board. Then he he offered us kind of he offered us a whole deal and, and an album thing as well. So and we had the album had come out there. Uh, um, uh, the album had come out, Little Hand, and uh, he kind of yeah he just came in and just said, "Do you want to sign it over to us?" And you said no. <laughs> no, 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 we said brilliant. Uh, we went over to 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 do what? the hang on. Do, and Simon's
1: actually Simon's great. Wait, 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 hang on. Let me let's bring it back. Let me roll the tape back. So you first licensed it to a Canadian label, correct? Well, no, yeah, we we
0: we did it with Chad. No, we we signed it with him. We we had we we had he had put out another record uh, of ours.
1: So did he actually do a licensing like we know it, or or he or he took it as a master purchase the record? In other words, you signing it to him for the life of the perpetuity of the copyright.
0: Uh no, no, it was only and then we,
1: okay, so you license it. So when Simon came to the table, did he go directly to you or you took the record label to go?
0: We Chad uh, and eventually he kind of Chad fell out of the he lost kind of interest in being a record label thing. And uh, we we ended up it was just us and, and um and Simon and defected.
1: I so see. in hindsight, it was better that that kind of happened, right? Uh, kind
0: know. of did. yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, Chad wasn't. I don't think he, he kind of lost interest in the whole record business thing.
1: What, and, was, uh, you think, what was the reason why he
0: he would have lost that? He, he got involved with in pressing plants, which was his big thing, you know. That's why we, what he did in Canada. Uh, he had a pressing plant, and that's I'm not exactly sure what happened. Uh, I don't know, did he did he had something to do with developing that big new pressing plant, the automated kind of one? Has he got something to do with that? I don't know. Well, yeah. He kind of felt like he kind of just d- disappeared from the, the scenario.
1: Well, you know, and it, it was that funny time where vinyl was... It was just kind of on the... Yeah, it was that funny, like 2005, 2006, It was just, it was changing. The business was changing. Distributors were going out of business left and right. Um, It just became more of the CD generation, MP3 generation. To say, But that's really what happened. And a lot of pressing plans were closing. So I can understand possibly with him being in a, a pressing and distribution company, him losing interest is, is not something that you would say, well, I can't see why he wouldn't want to do it anymore. At that time, the business was doggy, real doggy and ending, you know, the vinyl business, not, not you know.
0: Yeah. To be honest, I really don't know. So, okay. I remember
1: because I was. I signed a record to Ministry, and Ministry told me that record I signed that was the last vinyl one they were going to release, they were stopping vinyl. So, was around that time, because they just weren't moving the numbers anymore, yeah. Uh-huh. But to say the least, I remember that record being all over the place. You're right,
0: yeah. during the calls, <laughs> it was everywhere, it was everywhere. It, I mean, so how it changed. Every, it was on every compilation
1: known to man, and, and that's the way we love it. So, how does life change for you and Shane post uh, this record coming out? Um, does it change? I
0: suppose, yeah. I suppose we got a lot more money from the from the actual music itself. Like, we got we we did we did a lot of we got offered a lot of gigs, which some of them were good, and some of them were terrible. You know, because I think they. So people got the wrong idea, you know, with, with the kind of the, the kind of music um, because of yeah, DJing. I don't know. But uh, it, 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 I don't know that we, we kind of we just kept going the way we were going. Really, we did not too much change in a lot of ways. Like now, obviously, much more people knew about us and, you could you know, you could get more foreign gigs and all that kind of thing. But as, as we kind of kept doing what we've always done and just go with our souls and, you know, just see what we want to do, you know.
1: Being that you had, you know, Sir Henry's, and you guys had great nights. It's
0: at this stage now. So.
1: Oh, that was I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're traveling. The comparisons. Did you enjoy the traveling as much as playing at home?
0: Very mixed. I I much prefer playing at home. I, <laughs> you know, because I sometimes when you're traveling, you have to convince people. You know that you know. And we have quite a deep sound, you know, it's quite different, you know, so sometimes they just wouldn't get it, you know, so you kind of go, God, give me a Cork crowd any day, you know.
1: <laughs> and you, can you tell the, the people how this, this is the, the funny thing about the name Fish Go Deep actually was invented?
0: Well, we had a, we, <laughs> there's a, the English market in um, Cork City here and there's uh, part of it's a fish market and we had a record store there little tiny little record store where we sold uh, all the imports every week and it was called fish records because <laughs> the fish market was right beside us. So we um we kind of decided when we released music we were gonna go like Fish Go Tech, Fish Go Jazz, Fish Go Funky, or Fishco, whatever, like and then eventually we ended up with Fish Go Deep, which kind of stuck. Now we had one one our first record was called Fish go Tech. And uh that came out as Fishcotech Tech, and then we went Fishco Deep, and it kind of suited because the sound was deep. We were playing And the music we made was deep as well, and it's kind of you know you know the way the names of bands are kind of silly, but it kind of it works. It
1: worked. No, it worked. The, the, the silliness is what makes you remember. It. It's like wow. Um, it's a good story too. On a mellow note, we're going to put the tears now. How did you? How did you? How did you and Shane feel? When Sir Henry's ended,
0: uh, I uh, to be honest, I, it had kind of it had run its course. I think the people who owned the place weren't looking after it anymore, and it was kind of it was a shame for the city, like, because you know it, it was a really good venue, but it had kind of it had seen better days in the end. For me, I I, I I was sad to see it go, but it was just hadn't been looked after, and you know it needed investment and it needed it needed a bit of love put into it. I think it, it always had the money was always been extracted from the from the business, and it, it it kind of it wasn't what it was, you know. And it, it, I mean, it was it was a real kind of loss to the city, you know, and loss to the whole thing. But I, it, in in a lot of ways, I was kind of it was over, you know. We were there 13 years, every Saturday night, man, you know, like
1: all sure?
0: of us was always there. If one was on holidays, there, there's me. <laughs> if yeah. one of us was on holidays, the other one was there, you know. So.
1: Kind of. Kind of. So, you know, I tell you
0: sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes, something. Sometimes things are over. You've done as much as you can do in the place, you know. At uh, 13 years is a long time.
1: <laughs> Look how <laughs> long ministry. Wait, hang on. Let's 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 give some ages here. Look how long ministry of sound is still going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. So you're right. There is points where you say it's time to throw that towel in. You know, it's
0: and 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 try different things. And you know, if if the venue had been run appropriately, and you know, but by the end it was quite a mess. You know, it's kind of no, it's over. It's
1: what's that building now?
0: It's nothing. It's just derelict. It's kind of one of those places in the center of the city that in, in even the hotel part of it is still derelict. So it's it's up for it needs to be redeveloped badly. It's kind of really sad when you walk by it, and it was a fantastic venue, you know. And we badly need venues in in Ireland at the
1: moment. God, plans forward for you guys. Where are we at now? First yeah. of all, we've we're heard...
0: at the moment. Well, at the moment, we're we're finishing another album. Are you we, working an album? Okay, yeah, we had a we, we we had an album out there uh, the year before last. And uh, so we're just finishing another one at the moment. So we're kind of just going through the tracks and figuring out what's what. And uh, we're going we're going to do that. We're working on a, a couple of uh, twelve inches as well for release or
1: dance tracks. Twelve well. inches. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I make sure I was like, wow, because no, I I have to say this. We Vegas releasing, Lee's releasing vinyl. So I was wondering if you were getting ready to release vinyl. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, hopefully, I
0: mean, hopefully we, I'd like to, I'd like to get it on vinyl because, like, we put out the the last album, we put out in vinyl, and it's so, it's really, really nice to hold the record in your hand, you know. And you know, you I still love 12 inches, you know, when you you're oh. playing at a gig and you take one out, and it's the blue one with the little inside mix, you know, or it's the red one with the X on the thing, you know. I still love that. It's not, you know, you're scrolling through the old CD players. Not the same for me. <laughs> I still love the old 12 inches. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. we we'll, we've got the, we're going to sh- put them out. Is there going to be a tour with you guys? I know. Cause I know you stepped back with the DJ. I've got to pull back a, a really, a, a, a bit. So it, Shane was in South Africa recently. It went really well. So he's definitely, he'll be out there playing around, playing thing. I'll, I'll see how it goes. I, I'm, I'm not saying yay or no nay at the moment. Like so I just not sure. Can I my old ears take the the, the hammering of the monitors? Those loud DJ boxes, all that bass.
1: <laughs> does the does the actual uh earplugs that you had made for you do they really help or is it still
0: Oh, they do. I mean it's great. It's great. I mean, I would advise anybody who's exposed to long loud music for long periods of time, they should Get proper attenuated hearing, hearing protection because it, you know you can make a huge difference. You know, and I mean sometimes the volumes like in you're dealing with in the DJ box are crazy, like you know, up around 100 dBs, and you know that's not good for your ears. So they they really do help. I mean I can go to a gig or I can stand in a loud place, no problem, but I don't I don't have any problems the next day. Now as a DJ it's a little tricky because you know that everything is down a bit and you don't you don't hear the room as well. So that could be very uh, very tricky thing. You know.
1: Right, that's what I was gonna say. Cause you, you know, every it's like having everything muffled a bit, and it's hard to tell if yeah,
0: everything is a little bit of the top end, and you kind of go. It takes a bit of getting used to, you know.
1: Mm.
0: But if you're in loud situations, I mean, I'd highly recommend people to to wear them, you know.
1: Would you rem- Would you recommend young producers to? And you know, with the inspiration of this music that we all love, to 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 go after it, do you feel like there's a longevity in this? You know, with with the music of soulful dance, house music, and stuff. You would you recommend it? Would you go a different way if you were a younger guy? I, I,
0: that's an interesting question. I I think there's plenty there to be done. You know, and if if people feel they really want to make it and it's coming from somewhere, go for it. You know. But, like, if, if you're just making it to, you know, to become something or, you know, you're not making for it. There has to be a reason. It has to come out for some reason. So I, I really I really think you, you'd you have to feel it and really want to do it. Like, I, I don't, I'm not sure anymore how easy it is to make kind of a living, per se, out of it, you know, as a, as a just a producer. So yeah, tricky. It's tricky. I mean, it's tricky for anybody in the music business now. I think it's tricky for, you know, it'd be whatever type of music you're in. You know, it's becoming more and more difficult. And I mean, you know, to, to end up, you know, you can see with so many bands, they have to tour endlessly just to cover the, the costs. And I mean, streaming is kind of really, you know, it's killed, killed a lot of artists, really.
1: It's true. It's true. I mean, it's, it's a difficult
0: time, you know. So I think, you know, if you are making music, you have to really question why you're doing it. You know? Yeah, Why why am I getting up to make music for? You must really want to do it. You must have to. It must have to come out of you for some reason or other. You know, I think that's the only. Re- well, that's the only reason to make music anyway. I think. You
1: know? Yeah, no, I know, I know.
0: Yeah, it has to be. It has to be a reason.
1: <laughs> no, I know, I know, and you know what, and that's why I asked that question because you know you come from when music meant something. Oh, something it, it still means. It means
0: still means yeah. those people, but as, a, as an actual. Like somebody getting into it now, it's God. It's really tricky to kind of find a way to to keep yourself going as an artist, you know.
1: That's right.
0: You can see it, like for everybody, you know, no matter who, even the you know the biggest, the, you know, unless you're Taylor Swift.
1: <laughs> Do you believe the social media thing is worth all the energy and in putting into it?
0: I I'm kind of skeptical about it, really. You know, I I, I mean, it's great for advertising, you know you know, your gigs or you got your put your music out, but I don't know. It seems I, I just, I don't like working for those guys, you know?
1: <laughs> do you feel like you're working for them or do you feel like it's, no, like you're, do you're kind of, I don't know. I don't know
0: about the whole thing, really.
1: <laughs> I just never liked the idea when promoters looked at your social media and because yeah. you come from a different era, say, before this whole thing came to social media, and they judged you on how many people following you as to how good you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be what's happened. I, I, I don't know because not many people follow me. You <laughs> do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now we're following you. I know, I know, but it's like I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of the whole thing. I think we'll we we'll look back in ten years' time hopefully and say, God, what was that
1: about? Oh <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know if that's possible because it just seems like that smartphone well, is part of our life. It's an extension of the, our hands.
0: There's something called it was it, infinity scrolling where people are just like,
1: hmm.
0: Where's the bottom? Where's the fucking bottom of the whole thing? <laughs> It's rewiring people's brains, I'm convinced of it, you know. Attention's oh. done.
1: Well, you know what? We, we, it's it's i I constantly read things like this. We we're inundated with tons of information, but we've lost the wisdom.
0: Yeah. And the totally truth. There's too much information in any if you think about it. You know, there's so yeah. much stuff. You know, you open up everything, like go go on to the, you know, go on to track source tomorrow. I say, God, where are we gonna start? Like, you know, Right. The- Two days later, you'll still be listening to all the records. You know, there's so much stuff. You know?
1: So much you in. Don't believe in. So you don't believe in the power of Spotify or any of that stuff, right?
0: I don't know. I, 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 I yeah. Well, I mean, we've we've a lot of followers in Spotify, so and a lot of people listen to the music. So I believe in that.
1: <laughs> Good. So you understand that the streaming, because a lot of the old folks. Don't really understand the streaming game. They look at this one, you know, and I'm talking about in-house music, for example. They look at track source and beatport and it stops there, right there for them. They don't look yeah. at the other parts of it, you know. The yeah. streaming.
0: I mean, I you, you know, you mean, I mean, the sales on the on the download sites are pretty poor these days. Like,
1: you know,
0: doesn't take much to get to number one.
1: Yeah, really, it doesn't take much at all. So you wonder where the hell everything, where is everybody getting the music? Because either they're listening to it on YouTube or they're streaming it like a radio all day.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I have one of those uh, Denon uh, uh, CD players and it's it, it's linked to, to Tidal. And I, you could DJ with it, you know. So, you know, you, could, you can actually, you can download the tracks while you're playing and you, you wouldn't have to buy anything.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, no, I wouldn't fancy doing it in the club. Like,
1: but, yeah. well, I asked that question to the reps, and the reps told me because the idea was the the player would download the music, but you would have to set this all up before you go to the club. And what happens is you're doing like a rental, like we used to do with VCR tapes back in the day. Like you go rent the movie, bring it home. So you rent the music for a week or two. And when you go back on to recertify with the internet, it wipes it all out. It's crazy. It's like you don't really own. It's a new way of owning music. It's just like you're going to borrow it.
0: You're going to just, you're going to borrow it.
1: Right. And then when they turn the thing back on to hit Wi-Fi again, gonzo, it's all gone. It's crazy. Everything's crazy now. You know, we've all just have to learn to just, Accept what we're dealt with. Work around everything that we're trying to to, to work around. And don't forget where we've all come from. That's my motto.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: (laughs) Forget where we come from. Keep playing the guitar. Keep playing your piano. Don't stop. I wish you all the best. You guys make great music. You got a lot of heart. Um, I wish you would open up Sir Henry's again so we can all come back and play. Because I love playing.
0: Oh, I'd love a club in Cork all the time. Yeah.
1: Oh my God, people! I I, I still say this to this day: the most heartfelt crowd I ever played for in my life. Huh. That's lovely. <laughs> Beautiful people. All the DJs said that that you had come. It's full of love, the room, and they just love
0: the music. You know, everybody who went there, loved the music.
1: That's why I said when you say
0: pure when it's like that, you know, it's just your focus, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from. You're all there together to experience this lovely thing called music. (laughs) It's fantastic. Do you believe in the disco movement? The new, uh, the disco again, coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, just it's great. Like, you know, people love it, but I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. Really? What do you mean, Skazin?
1: What happened? What? Again, for the second time? <laughs> you know, God,
0: I don't know. It, yeah, it's not for me. Put
1: it that I, way. That's why I. That's why I ask because it's not. It's not everybody's bag. Yeah, it's
0: not. Yeah, and it's just kind of like rehashing a rehash of a rehash. Is it like I don't know?
1: Maybe. On that note, children, you've heard it from <laughs> yeah. one of the best of the game kiddies did you get your pens papers out learned a lot today from this man (laughs) he's constantly back in there they're making albums he's gonna come back you know because people had asked me uh greg they said wonder why greg's not touring he's not playing a lot they didn't know about the whole tinnitus situation but you know we want to wish you the best with that um that it doesn't get anything more than where you're at with it you could just you know, keep it under bay. Because I remember a friend's father told me a long time, he had a printing press. And for many years, they had those loud machines. And, you know, you're around that all day. It does the same thing like being in a DJ box, right? So he used to say to me, I have to go down to the where the sea was to listen to the waves so Dude. I could just relax my brain because the, 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 the constant noise was just ridiculous. You know, but... We wish you the best, and of course, I I'm, I can't wait to run into you again. And uh, stay safe, and we will watch what you guys put out for sure. And make sure you please get me the new tracks because you know I, I will support I, them. Of
0: course, I will. I get Shane to send them on to you.
1: Well, Shane all our best. We miss them. We love them. Okay, people. We'll see you all next week here. And thank you to Mr. Greg Dowling, a gentleman, a DJ. Scholar, a grandfather, (laughs) a grandfather, a fisherman. Because that was what I was going to say to you. No, That that fish shop. Check this out. Could you imagine what that's like? He's got a fish. He's got a fish place, and then he's got the record shop. So he's got some funky sounds with some stinky fish coming around. But if it's stinky, it's not fresh. (laughs) That's it, people. Have a good night around the world. We'll see you all next week. Stay with me, Mr. Dowling. Ciao. Ciao. Greg.